Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Emergency Nine Golf Podcast. We have McLean Boyd, Jay Woodson, and myself, Mike Maroney, here with you again, back for another week. What's up, gents? What's up? Another week. How doing, boys, how are we doing? We're good. We're doing good. good, man. I'm doing pretty good. Um, um, expectations were pretty low, but um, so I'm I'm exceeding those, and I'm feeling good. <laughs> what are you feeling good with? Are you drinking anything over there, Jeff? Um, yeah, I am drinking. Um, oh, I can't remember what I poured in here. That's bad. <laughs> um, ah, get back to me. Okay. Get back to me. All right, watch you think about it. Think about that for a let second. T- let me taste it. Let me taste it. Oh, I know what it is. Sorry, I'm. I, I poured this out of my little one, little decanter. So it's 1792 that I've been drinking the last couple of weeks. So okay. nothing, nothing special. Pretty boring. All right, cool. McLean, what are you drinking tonight? I've got a little uh, single malt, single malt Gordon and McPhail Linkwood, uh, 15 year <laughs> Scotch. Jeez, <laughs> our Corona Light guy is growing up. Yeah, yeah. His big boy pants on tonight, and here he is trying to, you know, trying to get with the program here. Pinky's up, dude. Pinky's up. Pinky's up. I do have a proper rocks glass, though. Oh, right. nice. Okay, I like it. Um, yeah, man, that was Corona Light to a uh, fifteen-year-old Scotch. I mean, talk about opposite ends of the spectrum there. Let's go. That's, you got really that's like a that's like a guy who normally plays a muni. Like, where are you playing golf this weekend? Oh, Augusta, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you got to step up, and the opportunity presents itself, Mike. <laughs> I like it. I'm not hating it. I like it. Um, I'm currently. I have a glass of water in front of me. I currently have a tequila. Uh, high noon. One of their new uh, tequila seltzers. And oh, really good. It's very very good. Well, I've, after I finish that, I have a glass of Blanton sitting next to me. So, mixing it up tonight, love yeah. it. You know, you know, just kind of finishing one drink that I'd already started, and hydrating with the water. But we'll get to the the good Blantons here in a in a few minutes. So, um, but yeah, I think I think we just get right into it, right? Because I, I have a feeling one of our discussions is going to last a long time tonight. So, let's get to the Valspar first. Did you guys watch it at all? Very little. Okay. I watched yeah, it. I, I watched, watched Sunday. Yeah, I watched it. I got bits and pieces, decent amount off and on first three days, and then um, kind of hunkered down in and, and, and watched it yesterday. But Taylor Moore kind of came from nowhere. Coverage was like barely showing him until like late. It seemed like late in the back nine. They weren't really focused on him. It was more obviously Speed Fleetwood and then Adam Shank. Is it Shank or Shank? Shank. 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 Okay. Oh, did you you said the same thing? Exactly. Shank. Shank or Shank? I'm I'm not hearing a whole lot of difference there. <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm with Jay on that one. Sure. Okay. So I said it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes to both of those, Mikey. <laughs> Nailed it. Perfect. That's like when my wife tries to correct me when uh, I say, "Can you pass me the pen?" She's like, "The pen or the pen." I'm like, what? She's like, you said pen. I'm like, yes, I did say pen, but it, she's like, it's pen. I'm like, well, what are you? What are you trying to do here? Is it Pam or is it 
Pam. Yeah, Pam? it's like the, the stepbrothers, the stepbrothers scene. Pam, Pam. <laughs> like, what? what? Oh, a little lady. Pen, pen, yeah. Um, yeah, so Adam Shank was up there with Speeth and, Fle- and Fleetwood. They were kind of focusing on those those three, dabbling on a couple other guys. And Taylor Moore um, kind of comes out of nowhere and wins it, gets his first win. Which is cool. I don't have a ton to say about Taylor Moore. He came off like I was watching it. I'm like, I feel like this guy should be more excited than he is. He was pretty subdued. Like, yeah, well, I'm just enjoying the moment. Really, really cool. Um, you know, just gonna take it in. I'm like, this is your first freaking win on the PGA Tour, bro. Like, yeah. get a little bit excited. This is life changing, dude. Life changing. You're in the Masters. You were got, your PGA Tour card is locked up for two more years. You're in all the. De- you're going to be pretty much now in all the designated events next year. That's like you're you're just you just made yourself five million almost. Yep. Yeah, if you just do all the math, add it all up. He graduated to the Big Tour. Yeah, which is one of the cool stories of a non-designated event. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What a real cool story. Very reluctant to, to say real that. Real cool story. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do love the guy's putting stroke. He's got a funky move on the with the golf swing. Um, I love the guy's left hand low, his putting stroke. It's it's pretty smooth. Yeah, I mean, I think his, his game altogether is pretty good. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen his name up there. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously not as not winning, but we've seen his name up there. He's flirted in the top five a couple of times. So, you know, that's coming from people who do a golf podcast. But for yeah. the, your average Joe, you're probably who the hell is this guy? But um, I mean, we've seen his name, you know, fluttering around and he's he's played, you know, for the most part, pretty, pretty consistently, um, you know, over the past, you know, past, I don't know, I guess, six, seven months. I mean, he hasn't obviously hasn't won. He's missed some cuts. Um, but it's seven overall, top 25s. Some, yeah, played some good golf. I mean, early in the year, he had a nice stretch of top 20s, and then he back, you know, he preceded that with three missed cuts. But then, you know, at the end of 2022, the Zozo and the CJ Cup, you know, both top 25s. I mean, he's when he makes the cut, he he plays well. Um, and when he, you know, misses the cut, he misses the cut. But I did not pick him this past week. I've got a couple different leagues, and Mike, you're in here, one of the leagues with me, and uh, other than this one, and I didn't pick him. I obviously I wish not. I had, but I I looked at I actually clicked on his name, and I was, I was like, I just there's nothing there that's really giving me any any, any indication that he's going to have a, a great week. So you know, I pass on him. Obviously, well, especially but, one of those kind of feast or famine guys where it's like you never yeah. know what quite you're going to get from him. It's yeah. hard to, to to pick someone like that that's maybe just not quite as steady as some of the other guys out there, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, good for Taylor. You know, I I enjoyed it. Um, God, I felt bad for Adam Shank where he hit his drive on he eighteen. Hit a, hit a great left-handed oh, shot, unbelievable. I was like, it was Holy unbelievable. Hell. Yeah, I saw that. It did not look very athletic, but he did make he made great contact and he hit a great him. great shot. Yeah, because Taylor is, Taylor Moore had almost just hit the same exact tee ball. Yeah, on eighteen before him. And it was like the same exact spot, except Shanks rolls just a few more feet and goes up against that tree. And I was like, oh, and you could even tell the way he walked up to it and then like bent over and put his hands on his knees. He was like, fuck, this isn't good. 
No, not good. Um, all right, so I, I want to bring up a question. It bothers me when I see this, and it especially bothers me when I see PGA Tour players do it. So Adam Shank on 18, he has that long par putt to get to the playoff, and he drills it, and it hammers the hole. Probably would have gone off the back of the green. Why do people do that? I understand, like, you want to get it to the hole. But when you hit it that hard, there's less chance of it going in. You make the hole way smaller. Just I would rather him leave that a foot short and just try to make it with the normal speed at the right pace. And everyone's going to say, oh, man, how do you leave that short? Well, well, guess what? When you're putting from that far, you're going to leave some putts short. Unless you're putting inside of 12 feet. Yeah then it's okay to leave putts short. I, I agree 100%. Like I, I've, people say that all the time. 100% of the putts that you leave short don't go in. I'm like, yeah, well, the 100% of the putts that I hit too freaking hard don't go in either. So it's you got to give give it the right speed. Oh, hey, I'm, I misjudged it from 25 feet, and I'm a, a revolution short. But if I hit it, uh, you know, two feet, three feet past, it probably is not going in it, that, that way either. So, I mean – Again, I don't know if he tried to do that. It certainly looked like it when he hit it. I was like, we we're all like, whoa, 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 that's not going in. And yeah. he left the flag in. So as soon as he as soon as he left the flag in, I saw it going th- at that speed. I'm like, this, is, you know, one of two things are going to happen. He's going to blow away by, or he's going to hit the pin. It's going to bounce out. And I was like, there's no way this is going in, in any way, shape, or form. This butt's not going in. But I, I guess I'm the lone ranger here I, I will say i respect the hell out of the fact that he got up there and tried to get into that playoff he gave it his effort he made sure he was going to get it get it to the hole he crashed it into the flag we all know the percentage and leaving the flag and that's a whole nother argument but at the yeah. same time i will say that i do respect the fact that he went after it because there's a lot of players that will shy away in that moment and really just try to you know, baby it in there and end up leaving that putt short, which I totally understand. I don't disagree with you guys' point, but at the same time, I respect the fact that he did what it took to give the putt a chance and he got it to the hole. Did he hit it too hard? Obviously. But on the backside of that, we got to look to the fact that, you know, this is him trying to get through for his first win and he got up there and he made a decision with his caddy. He says, this is getting to the hole. I'm not going to leave this short. I'm going to try to make this and get it in. And he he didn't think about the money that came along with second or third place. He thought about how do I get into the playoff and I've got to get the putt there to do so. And I respect that from him, from his mindset of being able to get up there and and do that. Um, again, it, it, it was a little firm. <laughs> it was a lot firm. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, I think that was obviously a part of his um, the part of his th- thought process, the fact that this putt will get to the hole. And it did. And th- like I said, there's a lot of times yeah. where we see guys miss it and you know leave it short with their first chance to win. And we understand why they do that. But again, I, I just, I think there's something to be taken away from that. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't discount that, but I, I think uh, again, to Mike's point, it's like, Hey, I, I want to hit the putt the best way that I can hit it. And from 45, what was it, 40, 48 feet, 45 feet? Jordan had 48 feet. So he was just inside. 45, yeah. So 45 feet. I mean, the way, the only way this putt's going to really go in is if you just hit it with the, just try to read it and hit it the best, the best you can with the proper speed. If it goes in, it goes in. But I think when it's like playing in a captain's choice event and you're, or a scramble. 
and you're 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 the last one to putt, and you have like a thirty footer, and you leave it short, and the team's like, "Come on, man! Look, we just you didn't even give it a chance." And I'm like, "I did give it a chance. I hit the putt the best way that I could, and it came up, you know, six inches short. That doesn't mean that I was trying to lag it. That just mean that just meant that I I looked at the hole, I gauged it this speed to make the putt go in, and I I misjudged it. But I'm not going to just you know artificially hit it hard just to say." Well, I got it to the hole, but it's seven feet by it. Never had a chance to go in that way either. So um, I, I do get what you're saying, McLean, though. It's like he said, look, I'm going to. In that circumstance. I, in that circumstance, I, I'm not going to just lag it up there, which I do agree. Like, I, you don't want to. Whether he went at it the right way and, and gauged the speed correctly, he he did say, I, was like, I want to try to win this tournament or get in a playoff at least. I'm not going to just lag it up to just take my second and take my money. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to give it a chance. And for him, he probably thought, Hey, this is the right speed. And I just misjudged it and got excited and hit it too hard. Um, or he could have three putted like Jordan did, um, which was ridiculous, but I, that, that guy's the, the most, he's the streakiest butter that I've ever seen. Like it's unbelievable. I thought yeah. for sure he was going to make the putt on, on 17. Let's. I, mean, I want to make. I want to make one more point about the putt, and then I want to get back to the speed because I have that kind of a similar mm-hmm. similar take as you on speed. Uh, I actually think said speed this past weekend, not speed in general. Um, but so the the whole putting thing to me is like so we've brought up Scott Fawcett a couple times, um, who has the decade system, and I, I've kind of studied under him and, and and been seen him speak a couple times and watched all his videos and. And one of the things that him and a lot of the statisticians say is you want your shot dispersion when you're putting basically from over 15 feet, you want the hole to be in the middle of your shot dispersion. So if you were to chart all of your putts, yes, it's okay to come up short because it's, it's really over 10 feet. You really are. We're not, don't expect to make it anyways. So if all of if the holes in the middle of your shot dispersion, on a 15 or greater uh, foot putt, we're now giving ourselves the best chance to make that next one. And it's not going to be a lot. If all of a sudden you push your shot dispersion up past the hole, well, the top end of that dispersion is going to be five, six feet away. Now Mm -hmm. you're just increasing your odds of three putting and and missing that next one. And these statisticians are, are not so much harping on people need to make more birdies. They're actually saying people need to make less bogeys. It's about bogey avoidance. And yeah. I think I've I think I've used this stat on this podcast before. Is in his studies, he's he's done a a, a group of players, a lower handicap group of players, and a higher handicap group of players. One of the groups averaged a seventy-eight. The other group averaged a ninety-one. The total difference in birdies was one point eight, less than two birdies difference in those two groups of players, and it's thirteen Great. shot difference. So. For the listeners out there to try to take something away from this, just like Jay was saying about a scramble, like if I'm playing in a two-man thing and my partner's like, I got a, a 20-footer for birdie and someone's got a six-footer for part, like, oh, I want me to make you to free up. I'm like, no, it's doesn't not going to matter. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change how I read this putt, how I hit this putt. I have my rhythm of my stroke of how I hit a putt and how I see a line. I don't want to then just change my, my whole game plan of how I've taught myself to putt and how I've practiced my putting over decades to then say, yeah, now I'm going to look at the low line and try to jam this thing and change the, my, my speed. Just not going to work for me. I have a much better chance of doing what I always do. I, I kind of like 
the high line. I like kind of softly dying hitting it in, dying yeah. it in. And that's just how I putt. I just can't see the low and jam. I will say I will say that the one time that 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 can be beneficial is for these shorter putts where you actually can control a more more I guess a further distance off the putter face. So we all know like the shorter the putt, the the more that putt is going to stay true to the line that you chose based on the speed that you're picking. So if I've got a five footer, I can hit it a little harder and take sure. some of the breakout. You know, it, relatively speaking, let's just say it's left edge, right edge, or something simple like that. I can, I can control of a, a greater distance at which I can keep that putt straight by hitting it a little, little, little more firm. But when you get outside of ten, I even I'd say probably even eight feet, eight feet and beyond, unless it's a perfectly straight putt or close to it, then you, you're, you're now you're really like you said, you're really looking at. Uh, um, the, the slope of the green, the speed of the green, um, and, and the further, further away from the hole you get, now you're really bringing a whole lot of factors in play. Like, how do I normally putt? Like, how do I normally read greens? And, and it gets really confusing if you just say, I'm just going to hit it hard. Now you miss your start line and you hit it too hard. And, and now you're probably going to miss the putt. And again, if it may not matter, but you may have five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 feet coming back. I'm like, what, what good is that? Um, yeah, yeah like I agree. With, yeah, the shorter putts, you can. I think you can get away with it. Tiger was really good at that for a long time. Of kind of hitting those those shorter, like four four feet and in those putts, he hit them pretty hard. And he, and granted, he was playing on really good greens, um, and he was able to hit the center of the hole a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, no, that's a great. Really saw him lift those putts out. I, I agree ones. with both your points entirely. The only thing I will say that that study does not take into consideration is the situation. And I think that's where, you know, Adam Shank sure. on the last hole trying to win a golf tournament, it is a little bit different than how he approaches, you know, the other 71 holes. Sure. Um, I agree I, with that. Yeah. I, I think you 100% employ that as much as possible because statistics have shown that that's your greatest chance of making putts. Um, but at the on the backside of that, when it comes down to trying to win a golf tournament and actually just trying to get it done, and not to say that anyone's not trying to get it done, but giving that extra emphasis to say, this has to get there for me to have a, any chance of getting in there. And we all know how tough it is to judge speed from 48 feet. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about a guy ramming it from 12 feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking about a longer putt. It's very tough to judge speed on, uh, especially on fast greens. And especially up a big slope like that, like he was putting on. Without question, without question, there's a there's a whole um, whole myriad of uh, additional variables that come into that situation. And I think I, I again agree wholeheartedly with the study. I agree wholeheartedly with the statistics that you brought to the uh, uh, equation here. But I, I think the only thing that statistics don't bring into um, the conversation is this situation. And I think sure. that's where it's a little bit different from Adam Shank's perspective. Yeah. Those, those statisticians and, and course management gurus and whatever you want to call them, they're, they're looking at over the course of a 72 hole event or an entire season for these guys of what they're Correct. consulting on. Correct. Um, so I do agree with that. Um, but Jay, I forget the stats. I remember seeing it years and years ago, like you were talking about with, with the shorter putts, the PJ tour averaged, it was like, on putts outside of like outside, I'm going to make up the statistics, but it was roughly this kind of um, synopsis was outside of five feet. PJ tour players average like 14, 16 inches past the hole. 
but inside of five feet when they missed, they were averaging like two feet past the hole. So they were, they are hitting those shorter putts firmer, harder. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know if you've heard anyone say this, you know, like somebody like David Orr or, you know, one of these putting gurus that like you should put these four to six footers like you put a tap in because you're just like, hey, the center of the hole, let me just step up and just knock it in. You never worry about knocking the ball. You're not trying to die the ball in where you're knocking, you know, you're tapping in like a, a 12 inch butt sure. or a six yep. inch butt. You just kind of get up in there and just knock it in. I mean, obviously you're not, you're not hitting it so hard that the ball is going to bounce off the back of the cup. But you just know if I just if the, the firmer I hit this within reason, it's going to be a more of a straight line, and I can get this ball started on my line. I'm, I'm six inches, I'm twelve inches from the hole. I can do that. So, the idea behind trying to straighten this putt out as much as you can uh, eliminates some of the doubt, and it, it's a more of a psychology like psychology thing there when you're over these putts. Like, hey, it's left edge, it's right edge. When a lot of times, if you really die the putt in perfectly, it's not left edge, it's not right edge. But you also, the softer you hit those putts, the more you bring in those imperfections around the cup, which mm -hmm. more there's more footprints. Now, granted, I know you can fix everything nowadays, but you know, those things add into it. So it's like, okay, let me just, it's left edge. Let me, if I know it's going, going to go right a little bit, if I played inside left edge, I, I, then I'm, this ball's going in. And you're not worried about that next putt. And the rare occasion that you do miss it and you knock it five feet by, you just do the same thing again. <laughs> you hopefully will make it. You know, there's a chance that you three putt from five feet. It does happen. It happens. You're going to make, I think you're going to make way more putts with that little bit firmer attitude from four to five feet than you are trying to die those putts in. I mean, a perfect example is somebody like Sergio Garcia. I mean, think about watching him in the last seven or eight years and watching those short putts. I mean, he, you you watch him hit these, and you're like, ah, it's like, oh, it's like it just dribbles in, like from five or six feet, and like you never saw Tiger or Jack or any of these great putters just dribble the ball over the front edge from five or six feet, five or six feet. It's like you're trying to but steer it in there, or just like steer it in there. But how many times have you seen Sergio miss those little putts? I mean, statistically speaking, if you go back and look in the last, you know, probably five years, he he hasn't putted that poorly. He's gotten much better, but for a while there, when he was really struggling with putting, it was his speed control was was reverse. It was like he was so aggressive with the longer putts, and he got real tentative and passive with the short putts, and he didn't make very many of them. Well, I think it shows uh, obviously a lack of confidence in what he was trying to yeah. do at that point. Yeah. You know, a Tiger's never shown a lack of confidence, especially on the short putts. Um, and ultimately, to get up there and drill one from short, you better be pretty confident about it. Yeah. yeah. I think anyone would agree with that, but I also yeah. think that Sergio's lack of confidence in that in his short putting abilities played a big factor into that, as would anyone. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, so let's get back to Spieth. I cut you off earlier, but I wanted to kind of expand on that little putting thing that I was I was just thinking about when I was watching that yesterday. But Spieth, one of the reasons I like Jordan Spieth is man, it's a fucking roller coaster of emotions watching this guy <laughs> it is wild he always does things you're not expecting both good and bad like because playing well i'm like oh man he he makes that um what was it the 14th hole the par five makes that putt he was fist pumping before the ball even got to the hole and i'm like all right let's go and then he gets up on 16 and hits it miles right into the middle of the pond 
then makes a fucking fantastic bogey after a typical long conversation with him and Greller. I feel bad for Michael Greller. That guy's got to be exhausted after a 72-hole event with Spieth. And then, just like you said earlier, Jay, when he stuffs it on the hardest hole of the golf course, he stuffs it. I was like, here we go. He's going to make this. Let's do this. And then he misses it. It's like, it's say what you want about Spieth. It is entertaining, whether you like him or not. It's wild because you don't know what you're going to get from the guy. Yeah, I would. um, I I think he's the closest to Arnold Palmer that we've seen. Um, You know, he's Arnold Palmer was probably a a bigger character than Jordan in terms of, you know, he personality. Yeah, personality wise. And he was the face of. He was the face of golf in the in the midst of you know, the market the, the marketing you know side of golf and making it a TV uh, spectacle. So, in so that he was a pioneer in that sense. But the 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 swashbuckler kind of you know up and down like uh, I'll dominate at one moment and everybody kind of loves me, everybody hates me. Um, you know. I think of, I think I keep thinking of the 1961 Masters when he, when he was walking up the fairway on the 18th 18th hole, shaking hands with people, and because he had a it was either one or two shot lead. I think it was a one shot lead uh, or whatever it was. Yeah, I think it was one shot lead. He was shaking hands, you know, waving to the crowd, and he was up there, and then he ended up making a making a bogey and getting in the playoff and losing. Um, and not that Jordan would do that, but just kind of that up and down, like you said, it was like, it's so it's, I mean, for perfect example, like Jordan, just, and just in the, it's just a one round in 18 holes. He was, you know, he goes from being tied for the lead, hitting the ball in the water on 16, you know, having a weird moment uh, where he's talking back and forth to Michael Greller, almost yelling at each other, you know, and they were kind of going back and forth and, and Greller was like, what, what, do you, what do you want to do here? And and Joe's like, I just want to get the ball in the fairway and get it on the green and kind of make my putt is basically what he said. And it was just like, okay, all right. Because yeah, they were debating, like trying to hit something, you know. Yeah, Grella wanted him to kind of go for the green and hit a hybrid yeah. or a three-wood or something. Yeah. And, and he, I mean, then he makes an incredible up and down for a bogey and then, then follows it up with an incredible shot to inside of six feet on 17. Here you go. Here's your chance to get to 10 under and the pressure on and he misses the he misses the putt. <laughs> it's like what what just happened? You know, what just happened? And then he, you know, again, he fall, you you guys, you know, know the 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 ending there and it's hits what we think is a pretty good uh 9 iron into 18 and it spins back to 48 feet and three putts for to finish, you know, T T3. It's like what 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 just happened? You know, up and down. It doesn't doesn't help the fact that I had Jordan Spieth on on my roster here and I'm just hanging on pins and needles because I'm trying to I'm trying to win one of my puts you in an both. awkward spot. You don't like yeah. Jordan Spieth now you got to root for him. I you know, I don't, and then he does I don't, that. I, yeah, I, I that just I mean, I'm standing out there. I wasn't even watching that part of it. I was I was, you know, Doing yard work, I had the truck with the radio on, listening to PJ Tour Network, and dragged my son out there to help me. My wife was out there, <laughs> were digging mulch out of a uh, a tree that we got ground up, and <laughs> and he missed the putt on seventeen. I slammed the pitchfork in the ground, and they both look at me like, "What? What are you so upset about?" I'm like, "I was like, goddamn Jordan Spieth, I can't count on him for anything." <laughs> I was like, oh, life of a like gambler. Just, he just solidified himself in my golf world as. Uh, it's it's vali- just, you mispronounced it. It's validified. Validified. 
validified. When are we going to get that hat? That's that's going to be killer. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's it's entertaining. You know, Ugh, I don't know. I love the guy, but, but it uh, is exhilarating. You're right. I think that's that's why people like they like watching him because he he wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, you know, to to his detriment at times. You know, depending on what side of, side of of him you're on. You know, if if it's a like a Sergio, you know, if you don't like Sergio, when you hear him talk and complain, you're going to hate him. And if you don't like listening to Jordan Spieth whine to Michael Grether, you're going to hate him. But some people love it. They're like, oh, this is so cool. I can hear Jordan Spieth talk to Michael Greller and he can, you know, kind of, you know, give us exactly how he's feeling. So, you know, I get it. some people really like it. There's a sense of honesty of yeah. what Jordan Spieth does. And I think that's where the average player can relate to that a little bit more because we're so used to seeing these PJ Tour players so buttoned up and kind robotic. Of robotic, absolutely. You know, they don't let a whole lot be known, but Spieth's not afraid to do that. And he's also not afraid to um how best way to say this, uh take credit for his actions after the fact. Yeah. You know, he'll tell you exactly what he thought happened and if he made a mistake or if he didn't. You know, he's very upfront about that. And I think I think that's what makes him so attractive to the average player out there. Well, on that note, did you hear uh, on 16 when he hit the ball in the water? I was kind of listening to his comments on that. And and Mikey, I don't know if you listen to this, too, but McLean, he he hits he tries it a three wood. It was wind, wind off the left, into off the left, and he and he wanted to hit like a squeeze cut three wood with the wind into off the left and the water right. And as he's talking through this, I'm like, why would you hit that shot? Like that sounds like the worst possible shot that you could hit. Anytime you want to hit it low with the wood, where's the ball going? Typically, it's going to the, for a right-handed golfer. It's going right. So he's trying to hit a squeeze cut three wood with the wind into i understand he's trying to keep it low into but the wind off off the left and the water's right like yeah that's just where where do you think this ball is gonna go yeah that's just screaming i i I saw that shot i I did see that shot i I was in marked madness and that and i did see that golf shot and there was only one outcome yeah, and he even said he's like I, I I didn't hit any good shots on the range. I hit five in a row that were way right, but I did hit a good one on two. So I got to sixteen, and all of a sudden thought that you know again I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say it exactly like this, but all of a sudden he gets to sixteen and thinks that I'm trying to win a golf tournament. Let me hit the shot that I that I saw myself hit five or six times on the range terribly, but I hit one one time well early in the round, like. I, it, that that part to me was was a little bizarre. I mean, um, it's almost like, what do you what do you are you trying to prepare for, an uh, like another tournament? You're trying to get ready for a shot that you need at like Augusta, or but why would you not hit the shot that you can hit to hit the ball in the, in the, in the fairway or in play? Why would you try to push yourself? I mean, I, I get it. I'm all about a challenge. You know, it's like I can hit the shot. I can hit the shot. But at the same time, the big picture is. I want to win the golf tournament. And it's not like he's winning every week and he's challenging himself with different shots to get ready for Augusta. You haven't won in a year, um, almost a year. What is it? Heritage was the last one he won, which is a couple of weeks away. So yeah, like, which I have a cool, I don't know. I would, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I, that seems bizarre to me. Why would you try to hit a shot that you haven't played that much and, and obviously haven't played it very well? Well, especially that like, kind of, 
He felt like that gave him the best chance to try to win the golf tournament. He's very fortunate that he's made an ass of money that he can take those risks and ultimately try that shot because a lot of players in his circumstance would not have done that because they need to protect their finish, protect um, you know what they're going to bring home at the end of the week. But with Jordan obviously having a large bankroll to sit on and feel very comfortable, it's not like he left this tournament feeling down in the dumps. Um it's it's something to where, you know, I I go back to thinking about something that Lonto said on the podcast a while back when they were playing Tory, and uh, when he said Ryan Palmer starts it out over the water, he goes, but that's I guess what you do when you have forty million dollars in career earnings, you know that yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to be said about that comfort factor and knowing that yeah. your bills are beyond paid for the next few generations, yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I think ultimately it came down to that's that's a shot he felt he needed to hit to try and win the golf tournament. And it's it's nice when you see a player that's freed up that is able to do those things because it makes it better um, better TV for us, the viewer. Yeah, well, the thing the thing too is like that that squeeze fade into the left. The miss seventy five percent of the time is going to be right. Yeah, it's like left and hundred percent. Yeah, you could double cross yourself, and I've done it myself. We've all done it. You can double cross that and and pull it when you do it. But 75%, if you're going to take the Scott Fawcett shot dispersion on that kind of shot with that kind of wind, it's right. And so Scott Fawcett would tell you, you push that shot dispersion, you aim into the left rough. Because if you do hit it over there in the left rough, yeah, you might be in some trees. You might have to hack it out towards the front edge of the green, but you're in play. You're not dropping 240 yards back wherever the hell he yeah. was. You're still, you're still, and like you can see, even if he was right behind a tree over yeah. there, he pitches out to the same spot he just was. He gets up and down for par versus getting up and down for bogey. And yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting, but. I just because he even mentioned the driver. He's like, yeah, he's like, this it does some sometimes he he says stuff and and they don't none of the none of the com, the comments they don't correlate they don't they don't mesh. He was like, well, I could have hit driver. You know, usually if I want to hit it low, I just hit hit the driver and tee it low. But you know, I was hitting the shot. I was working on the shot, and I'm like, and he just said that he didn't hit the shot well. I was like, wait a second, you could have hit the driver because that's the easy shot. And you're used to doing that, teeing it low and hitting your driver low. Or you can try this shot that you didn't perform well on the range and only hit one good time on the golf course. And yet you thought that that was, that was the right play. And it's like, it, it, well, I just, I think the so thoughts didn't, didn't add up in my head. And I was like, man, I, he must be, he must be on another level. Like he must, again, the only thing I can think of is he could care less about this to golf tournament. And he's trying to prepare for, you know, some other tournament. And the only thing I can think of would be Augusta. Like he's like, I need a shot at Augusta and I'm going to try to put, put it, put it into play under pressure and try to make an adjustment. I, I, that's the only thing that would make sense to me. So, yeah, I think what you're getting those with those post round comments is I think he just says what's on his mind. And I think yeah. that's where like kind of the conversations with, he has with Greller, like his mind just working a mile a minute and the, the, the comments may contradict each other. But he's just kind of all over the place and almost trying to talk himself outwardly into something. And that's what kind of what you see with Greller is that nervous energy, like just talking through like every scenario and this and that. And um, I just kind of sit back and listen to him and Greller and just kind of chuckle and smile. And it's just entertaining. Yeah. And 
Greller keeps a straight face, man. He is professional. He never says like, never raises his voice or like never ever seems to be really frustrated. But sometimes you look at him and he's, I'm like, man, that guy's tired. (laughs) He's tired. Yeah. Uh, He's gotta be. That's a lot, man. So it's, it's, it's more than a lot. Yeah. Um, anything else on the Valspar before we move on? No, I mean, it was a good, it was a good event, it, you know, yeah. for a non elevated event, it, w- it added some entertainment value, which is, which is great. I think, it, but again, the entertainment value came from an elevated player, you know? Sure. But I think part of, the, part of the mix of an elevated player and a, or an elite player and a non elite player is in an interesting back and forth. Yeah. Like yeah. how is Adam Schenk going to hold up playing the final round with Jordan speed? Yeah. Probably going to be the fan favorite. And yeah. Um, I, I think the I, I think the setup is is great. You know, uh, I, people are bashing it, saying that they're you know these are the these tournaments are you know no one's paying attention to these tournaments because they're not elevated. But I, I, again, I think that I think it's good. I think to have those on and off weeks, and if you can sprinkle in some of these top tier players in these events and and they're in contention, then then it makes it entertaining. I mean, yeah. I mean we, I mean, I, I I tuned in you know to to see what see Jordan Spieth talk himself into a loss. So I mean, <laughs> I was I was into it. Well, let's talk about another non-designated event. Live Tucson. I didn't watch any of it. I'll be honest with you. I didn't watch a I single a thing. I watched a little bit of it. Uh, I watched a little bit of. I watched about four and a half minutes on Saturday, and uh, then it's, it's going to be tough going up against March Madness. Uh, you, we just don't get that first weekend of March Madness any other weekend of the year. And if you're a college basketball fan the way I am, you know, I, I dug into that. I had a lot of uh, a lot of matchups I wanted to see. Uh, a good friend of mine here, probably my closest friend here in Florida, um, he played for Creighton. So we were big into it. He was one of the top players, a uh, big-time, big-time college basketball player. So having the opportunity to watch it with him and just kind of hear some of the stuff that he says, um, the commentary throughout the game makes it pretty interesting and yeah. attractive from where I sit. But at the same time, I did watch some of the live. Um, it's it's funny because you know a guy like Danny Lee gets the win, and he's almost universally liked. You know, Danny Lee is someone that you haven't found anyone say anything negative about him. The way he made that putt from off the green was absolutely incredible. Um, I thought it did bring some you know, dramatic flair to the event, the fact that they went into a four-man playoff. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it's it's a very unique tour they have going currently. Uh, where it ends up, we don't know. Um, there's definitely a lot still to be desired. It sounds like, you know, and one of the things that I think is changing the structure is how some of the big news coming out of Live Tour is how they're really tightening the spending um, and what they're doing. It seems like the leaders of the PIF or the public investment fund, um, they are viewing this much more now as a business than they originally did, even down to the fact that in the media tent, the food selection was down to cold cuts and packaged meals versus the very extravagant uh, meals that they got used to, you know, the first year. So I think, I think they were the first year last year was the sales pitch to everyone. 
right? To the, not, not to just the players, but to the media, to the caddies. They were paying all the caddies airfare and, and hotel and salaries, yeah. which they're not doing anymore. It's now falling back on the player for all the caddy expenses. And Well, they're wanting the teams to end up. Basically yeah, the teams. Now, from what I understand that the team money is going back into the team fund. You're not actually making money um, off of that. So even though you win the team event, you're not actually seeing that money. The money's going back into the team itself. So that's certainly going to bring an interesting um, uh, newsworthy item uh, to the event. And it's certainly going to affect the players differently. We'll see how this plays out long-term. It's no, um, uh, it, it's certainly not news to know that there's a number of players that are certainly maybe, maybe not regretting, but certainly starting to question you know their decisions because they felt like they were kind of got a little bit of a bait and switch. So we'll we'll see how it progresses. I mean, it's not going into the actual event itself, but just some sure. of the surrounding uh, this week. It seems like Greg Norman's uh, days could be, you know, certainly numbered uh, with his involvement with the tour. Uh, it, it sounds like the leaders involved are starting to see him more as a detriment than anything else, and it's it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes from here. I'm certainly a follower from that aspect of it. I like watching the golf. I like watching that aspect of it. I think there is some good stuff to to take away from it. The team aspect brings something new that we haven't historically seen outside of college golf. But um, you know, the event itself, they've still got a little bit to go. You know, the some of the commentary was not great, even though I really like Faraday, but he he I don't know what it is. I, I almost think that he's trying to do too much right now. Trying too hard. Yeah. He's trying almost a little bit too hard. And it's kind of watering down you know, his ability or, or really what made him great. I should say not necessarily his ability, but um, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm, I'm hesitant to think that we're going to see any more top players leave. I, I don't think we're going to see that at this point with the changes that the PGA tour has made with adding that third tour. Um, it certainly seems like it, it, those guys are now going to be well taken care of here in the States with the PGA tour. And I, I don't think we're going to see any more of those guys jump ship. Wow. You gave us a lot there, man. Our live spokesman, McLean Void there. You're welcome. Uh, for for well, the listeners. I didn't have to. I didn't have to no, I no. For the listeners to, if, if you haven't heard, so the teams, 75% of the teams that all have set up their own LLC, but 75% of the teams are owned by live. The other 25% are owned by the players. I'm assuming the captain gets more of that than the other three guys, but um, I'm not exactly sure on, on that. And they have given the teams a line of credit this year for their expenses. And so like McLean was saying, uh, was it the Fireballs one? Sergio's team won this right. week. That money goes back into the coffers for the team to pay for airfare, hotels, However, they want to spend it. Do they want brand and brand advisors? Some people have social media teams. They have production teams. Like Bryson's team has like camera crews following them for the social media stuff. However, they want to spend that. That's up to the captain of the teams to figure out how they're doing it. And so, yes, they are running it more like a business. Allegedly, next season is when they're going to try to start selling them to billionaire investors. Someone said, I think it was Alan Shipnuck who was there. Saying they want to sell them for nine figures. I can't imagine anyone buying a live team for nine figures no. when when the ratings are as as bad as they are. They went down. I haven't seen yesterday's rating, but the rating from Saturday was a 0.14. Not 
not very good. And so I think the biggest compared thing to was, compared to the PGA Tour, which was a what? Uh, I don't know, but like, well, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head now. For the previous, was it Honda? They they went up against the first event. It was like a point two for Live versus like a one point eight for the for Honda, the- whatever, something along those lines. Um, the, I, I know the PJ Tour did not get to a two, but it was like a 1.7, 1.8, somewhere in there. And I don't know exactly what that all means. I, I'm not an expert in the Nielsen ratings and not going to pretend that I that I know those numbers other than just stating them. Dude, you, can, you know these ratings. Sorry, I got a lot going on, man. I got a lot going on. I can't keep track of the Nielsen ratings. Um, but I think ratings. Give it to us. I think the biggest thing with Liv is more of off-course news than on-course news. And I think part of that reason is they got to be hoping for the bigger names to win these events. Like as yeah, you want to give a cool you want to say it's a cool story for for Charles Hall to win the first event this year and now Danny Lee. These are guys that haven't won in forever. Danny Lee hasn't won in 8 years. He even said in his post-round interview like, "Yeah, I just thought winning was over for me and and it's not for me." But that's kind of what Liv has become. You look at last season. I mean, you did have, you had DJ win an event. You had Cam Smith. You had Brooks. But you also had Charles Schwartzel win an event last year off of a large drought. Henrik Stenson had a large drought and won. Brendan Grace had a large drought and won. It's like 48 guys. I mean, geez, your odds go up. No, I get, but that's what it is. It's like they they need Cam Smith, Bryson. Phil Mickelson, DJ, they need these big guys. Patrick Reed, you know, yeah. even give me a younger guy that has some flair, a Joaquin Neiman and Abe Answer. They need these guys winning these events if they yeah. want to draw some yeah. eyeballs. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I, I agree entirely. And it, it brings to question if, you know, it, it's, it is that question that everyone had. Are these guys still going to try as hard? Are they still going to? <laughs> practice as hard, keep their game sharp and do everything that you know, they need to do to be as competitive as they would be on the PGA tour. And now that's starting to come to light a little bit. You know what Bryson DeChambeau shot like seven over. Um, and it, he's one of the ones that sticks out to me the most because it seems like he has such an affinity for the game and wants to play well and, and be very well respected in the game and ultimately compete at the highest level. But if you're seeing guys like him all of a sudden, you know, put it on the back burner and start to take that GJ mentality a little bit, is that what we're going to get? Is that what the guaranteed money is going to provide? I do think long term that expires if they're able to make it and keep it going long term that will expire. You will have some new names that come up and start to become, you know, uh, leaders for the Lib Tour and ultimately cement themselves as better players. Now, how the public views that, we don't know. You know, if Danny Lee goes and runs off two more events, do we start elevating his stature in the game? I mean, that that's to be determined at this point. Okay. You know, I'm not sure that he can do it, but Danny Lee, I feel like, is a good a good example because he is someone that is basically universally liked. Um, Charles Howell III, someone who's universally liked. So if guys like that start to... And Charles Howell III, being that he's a little bit older, there's always going to be the argument that he's playing against less competition. But a guy like Danny Lee, who, again, you may have said he is coming off a big drought, but had he won on the PGA Tour, it would have been viewed differently. Sure, you know, absolutely. It wouldn't have been yeah. viewed the same way. There's just more and context. So you know how to classify it a little bit more. 
without question. And I don't disagree with that. You know, if you won on the PGA tour, everyone said, you know, this guy's been really grinding, working hard on this game. And that's how he got here. And he's back in the winner circle. And now he's poised to make a move on the tour for the rest of the year. You don't hear those same sentiments being shared from what's coming out of live tour, but I'm interested to see what happens if a guy like that starts to make a name for himself over there. Do we start elevating his stature in the game? Do we start elevating him into the conversation with some of the best players in the world? We don't know. I think he's got to do something in a major. I'm not saying win, but he would then have to top 10 in a major. I, or I could not agree more, but we don't know how long, how much longer these guys are even going to be eligible to play in the majors. Sure. And Danny so, Lee is probably not eligible in all honesty. He's probably no, not. No, he's not. But it's, it's one of those things to where, you know, if you can get one of the top players that's still eligible and can go in there and win a major, um, that certainly brings a lot to the conversation and certainly makes a great argument for whether or not these guys should be getting a, official world golf ranking points. But if they don't, we're going to see all of that expire at some point. Well, I don't even think it has anything to do with world golf ranking points. I think they have so much pressure on them to perform well in these majors this year for the validity of the tour and it can say yeah guys we're still really good we're good this is a good competition beating us on the live tour means something but like i'm looking at the season standing because i know there's only two events so far but bryson DeChambeau is 34th in the season standings on live yeah phil mickelson's 37th brooks kepka is 38th out of 48 guys on the live tour He's finished 31st and 29th. Bryson just finished 44th. Like the Saudis have to be like. Pauline Gretzky is the most famous person on that tour right now. <laughs> Her Instagram's been certainly the most spot on. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's just yeah, I, they, I, they need big names to do well. If those big names don't do well, then it definitely it it. it that drops the value of the product. Like you, I think you hit the nail on the head, Mikey, when you, when you said uh, that the, there needs to be a live, a live guy needs to win one of these four majors or three majors. I should say, if they, if they don't win, they're going to take a real big hit in terms of, you know, it, it, it's probably not fair. I mean, you're talking about three winners over why, the course. Why of, only three? Well, they're not playing the P are they playing the PGA championship? Do they say that yeah. they are? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, the PGA so championship has not changed. They just, like like all the other majors, all four majors basically said they're not changing their okay qualification. So if they're so, if they're in, they're in. So so of these four events, like they one of the one of the live players needs to win one of those majors, in my opinion. To kind of if they don't, then the the tour will take a hit. Like hey, you know what? You guys aren't you aren't good enough. You know you don't have the players that the PJ Tour players have. They and I'll say this: a win is massive, but competing massive. And competing and being in the mix is just as important. These guys all shit the bed and miss the cut. Then we or, have a, or a T40 and aren't, aren't, uh, aren't yeah. relevant on the weekend. Yeah, that's a big, big hit. A massive problem on their hands yeah. without yeah. question. So, all right, let's do this. USGA made an announcement last week. I'm going to preface this, guys. You ready? You want to you join me in a pact here? I'm going to set some ground rules for this conversation. It's going to be a conversation. It's not going to be an argument. We're not going to yell. We're going to have an intelligent. We're going to have an intelligent conversation, a back and forth on the two sides of the merit of this conversation. I got to get another drink for this. Are you prefacing this because you're going to take the side of the USGA? Is that why you're? Is that why you're prefacing this conversation? 
Um, yes, I am. I'm gonna, <laughs> no, I'm gonna take a fucking better knock. I'm gonna take a fucking better knock. Are you fucking serious? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a bathroom break, and then we're gonna have this conversation. And uh, it. You, you, and you, you really, you. Now we're gonna fucking argue. I'm no, we're it. not. We're not gonna argue. We're gonna keep Speak this for good, yourself. Good listening. All right, yeah. we're we're back. McLean's already fired up. McLean, seriously, let's try to keep this as an actual conversation. You're <laughs> let's 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 come at this from the point of let's agree to disagree. Let's agree right now that we're not gonna change each other's mind. Let's also agree that throughout this. No, no, wait, wait, wait. See, Let's have a about, conversation this about this. This is my thing, though. See, you already did it. You also have to agree that you're going to let Jay and I talk and not cut us off every five seconds. Sure. Okay. Because you guys never do that, but okay. Here we go. You, you need to listen back more. You need to listen back to these more. But all right. So for the listeners, if for some reason you haven't heard this, again, if you've gotten this long into this podcast you're a golf sicko like us so i'm sure you are aware that the usga last week announced a quote-unquote rollback they have changed the testing of the golf ball their robot testing and it's therefore going to require the manufacturers for elite competitions to have a different golf ball to conform to this new testing i have wrote out 800 words here in my thoughts i compiled uh this afternoon when i was preparing for the podcast i just wanted to kind of put stuff on paper so when the news first came out i was a little on the fence wasn't positive how i felt i've then educated myself i've done a bunch of reading a bunch of listening listened to a bunch of varying points and i now think i'm okay with this decision I want to hear your takes first. First off, let me just say this. You're going to have a very hard time getting the manufacturers to spend the R&D and produce a golf ball that no one's going to purchase because the only people that are going to be playing it is people that they give the ball to. Elite amateurs, professionals, they're going to literally give those to those players for free. So good luck getting the manufacturers to even go along with this and, and not fight it. I don't think there's any chance in the world that the manufacturers let this go on. And we all know that the manufacturers have way more money to fight this than the USGA does. So I feel very strongly that it will not pass because ultimately you're going to have Titleist, TaylorMade, Callaway, Strixon, Bridgestone, uh, amongst others. And those are probably the big five when it comes to the amount of money that's in the golf ball industry um, fight this. And I I see them actually coming together uh, and pooling their funds to make sure that this does not happen. I don't think there's a chance that this passes ultimately because of that alone. Now, beyond that. Uh, wait, wait, real fast. I'm not interrupting. Just to clarify for the listeners, this is a proposed change. There's like McLean's talking, there's a what five, six month comment period as they refer to it until August. At then that point, they will officially make their decision. It would then take effect in 2026. So a few years from now. Just to, just to clarify, Mike, I don't know if you have the exact details because I, I I read multiple articles on this too, and I've yet to hear any real detailed, you know, description of exactly what they're going to do to the ball, like how they're going to limit or roll back the ball. So I, I, they're I, not I, doing anything to the golf ball. What they're doing is they're testing at a different speed. So right now, on a robot testing, 
they test with a robot that's swinging at 120 miles an hour. There's a, a specific launch angle and spin rate they use. On that testing, a golf ball cannot fly further than 317 yards, plus or minus a few. So I think the standard deviation they allow is three yards. So let's just call it 320 for even numbers. On the current testing, what they're 27. Right now, yes, they're going to up the testing, the robot testing to 127 miles per hour, but keep the yardage at 317, 320 yards, which would therefore make the manufacturers adjust to that, those parameters to have to change how fast the golf balls are. They're going to have to make them softer because soft is slow in the golf ball world. So that would then change the golf ball. Um, the manufacturer would have to figure out a way to change that in those parameters. The USGA is not saying this is how you have to make a golf ball. They're just saying it can't go further than 320 yards on a robot with these dimensions. Gotcha. Does that make gotcha. sense, I guess? From yeah. what I know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for the most part. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, 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 I've gone, uh, you know, all around this whole thing. I've, I've tried to, you know, educate myself with a bunch of different avenues, whether it comes from the, from the amateur side of things, from golf course architecture, from, uh, like McLean said, from the manufacturer side of things. And I keep going back. My biggest thing is uh, on the the history of the game. Like everyone keeps talking about the history of the game, all of these, 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 you know, tournaments that have been played that have been won based on this progressive ball year in and year out. And now all of a sudden we're going to go, we're going to basically roll back. We're going to limit or go be, go backwards from what, what people have already used. So that's the one part that seems weird to me. I mean, we, we've always been a progressive, a progressive sport allowed, um, our manufacturers to create better clubs, better balls, better tools, better equipment. Um, it's one thing to put a limit. We've put a limit on the how fast the ball comes off the face. And I was okay with that. And again, we've tried this in the past and guys are still going to find a way to hit it far because they're going to find another way to do it, another avenue to do it. So I, I'm not as opposed to limiting the ball as I am to rolling the ball back. Like, Let's not roll the ball backwards. Let's just say, hey, you can't progress. Let's let's slow the progression. Let's stop it here. If you want to find another way to try to progress, then that will slow down. Um, that'll slow down the, the the rate or the pace at which guys continue to to gain distance. That I'm okay with because I, I do think there is there is a call for. Um, some limitation because we're, we are running out of uh, running out of real estate when it comes to golf courses. A lot of these golf courses are are outdated. You know, a lot of the great golf courses are, are we can't even we, some of the some of them that you can't even play anymore um, because they're so short. And that's unfortunate. I understand that that's that is part of uh, that's what's unique about golf is that people keep making these comparisons to football and basketball and oh, what are we going to do? Raise the raise the goal twelve feet. Um, well, the one thing about basketball and football is you use the exact same ball, the same parameters for the field, the same height of the goal over and over. And we've used those for, for since the game started golf, the, the field 
changes every single week, every single day with every single course. There's you never play the same link golf course at any given time in a professional event or an amateur event or even a, at at a at your local club. There's there's different tee boxes. There's different you know cuts of the hole. So the the golf course changes every single day. So we do have that element. We have to protect that to some some degree. But I I, I don't like. I don't like rolling back. I don't like taking away from what's already been done because now you put an asterisk next to the guys who have used a certain ball for the last 10, 15, 20 years that say, Hey, well, that's, I played in that era. What do you, what does that not count? You know, of course, Tiger and and Jack are against uh, uh, or or for rolling it back. And why would they? Of course that we'd be against, they'd be against um, progression and they would run roll the ball back because that protects all the records and all, all the things that they did for the last 60 years. That's a no brainer. Well, so also, I don't Tiger think that there, I don't think like, that Tiger, sorry, Jay Tiger just came out with that statement in 2017, which is when he first started seeing his distance no longer be the factor that it was. I would bet in 2001 and two, he would not have been a fan of rolling it back because that's what differentiated him from the remainder of the field. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I agree. But again, here recently, but Jack has been a big proponent of the rollback and Tiger obviously said the same thing in 2017. But the reason that they, they are for it is because it's like, Hey, I'm my, my career is done. I, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I've I've done these incredible things. I've I've won 18 majors and 20 runner-ups, Jack Nicholas and Tiger. I've won 15 majors. Like we're the two best players ever to walk the face of the earth. Of course, I'd love for you to roll this ball back. So that would just limit the opportunity some for some other people to kind of you know supersede what we what we've accomplished. And that that just again that puts them at the top of the list for even longer. Um so I, I don't necessarily hold their their opinion uh, as 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 high as I normally would, given their stature. Um, I think I think they're there's but guys are still going to win a major about themselves. What's that? It's not going to stop guys from winning majors. And guys are still going to win a major. No, but from having from from creating these 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 big advantages for some of these players, I think that that's that's a way of saying, hey, let's let's stop this, let's stop this progression, let's stop these guys from you know having the opportunity to to you know blast it by everybody. Um, although you know the, the the other side of it, you know, again, I'll be the first to admit, if you drop this, if you roll this ball back, all you're going to do. You're not. I'm, I'm talking records and scoring and and so okay, forth. But okay, yep. but um, if you roll this ball back, you know the long hitters are still going to be longer, arguably even longer than they were before. Mm-hmm. If you do it by percentages, which what, what what's the number? Five percent. They said they want about five percent. Yeah. Back. I mean, they're just going to be. They're going to just create even uh, even bigger disparity. So sure. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not. Again, I'm not big on. I am. I'm, I'm okay with you know, like limiting the ball and limiting the progression, allowing the developers give them the give them the autonomy to find another avenue. They're they're gonna have to put more R and D and find another avenue to create the distance that they want, create the marketing value. But the rolling back, I think, is a bad idea. I I, I haven't found one reason, and I'm, maybe you can shed light on this, Mike. I'll give you about twelve, but. but- but I I haven't found any, and I've been doing a lot of research on it too. So I'd be happy to hear what you say and see if we can we can um, get in a nice little discussion about it. Well, look, my my big thing is that you know for 
lack of a technical reason, we're amidst one of the best growths we've ever seen in the game of golf. And the last thing we want to do is to start to stagnate that growth. There's no reason that that benefits anyone in the sport. And again, I just think right now, especially with, you know, look at Titleist with the Pro V1. They The reason the Pro V1 is so successful is because of the tour usage that it has. They call it the number one ball in golf. I don't think there's any chance that Titleist lets this happen. I, I truly don't. They are the major player in that field. I, just, I think they will throw in an astronomical amount of money to protect the product and the market share that they currently have. On the backside of that, when we go ahead, Mike. I want to ask a question, not much trying to like interrupt. I just want to ask a question for clarity. And this has nothing to do with my argument. Do you think they're going to like buy off the USGA? Like when you say they're going to throw a bunch of money at this to make sure it not doesn't happen. I think there's definitely, they've got a a question. It will be legal fees. They will drown the tour in legal fees uh, to the point or the USGA and legal fees that they just unfortunately can't afford to keep up the argument. I do not think that this benefits the growth of the game. I do not think, because um, this basically bifurcates the rules it, it, and it segments it. You know, Tiger's argument was, I don't see why we can't be uh, more like baseball. Well, we could have been 40 years ago. Now it's too late. And at the same time, when we look at what's best for the game of golf, the USGA does not take that into consideration. They have consistently made rulings such as the belly putter. And this is just another example of trying to, um, make the sport harder, make it less attainable to the uh, average golfer out there. And there's a little bit of difference because they're now saying, well, no, the amateurs can keep still using that golf ball. Well, that's not near as attractive. It's just not. And ultimately a, that is a, that is a great point. McLean, when they, they ban the belly putter for, on the PGA tour and any, any, you know, elite competition, how many people do you see using a belly putter like amateur golfers, using a belly putter or a long putter and anchoring it. Even though they don't play by those rules, nobody uses that. Nobody does that anymore. Even though it's probably the best thing for them, they don't do it because that's not what the, that's not what they, that's not what they see on TV. Without question. And at the end of the day, what is the coolest thing in golf? The coolest. Bomb and drive, bro. That's exactly right. It's the reason that the world long drive exists and they televise it on the golf channel. When's the last time you saw the putt putt tour on the golf channel? I'll wait. I'd like to see. Actually, it was on uh, this year. I'll honest. I would like one. to see these guys do the putt putt again. That, that is, you, that you is get, pretty you funny. You get where I'm going with that. You get where I'm I do. I do. I do. I'm joking, but I would. I bet Liv got more than the putt putt tour did. But at the end of the day, I'm just telling you right now. When you make the sport less attractive to the mass of amateur golfers out there, it becomes less attractive to be a part of it. It becomes less attractive to play the sport, and especially when it comes to the fact of, wait a second, so if I'm going to play against these guys, I mean, think about it, Jay. Let's say you're out at the foundry and you're playing in a club event with these guys and you're able to play the regular ball. Well, you're definitely going to play that ball. Why would you? You're not going to give yourself a, a disadvantage. No one would do that. Yeah, but yet you you then go play in a, a mini tour event or the Virginia State Open or anything like that. Now you have to play a different ball. Well, your yardages are off the map. It, it's it's not attractive. It brings more issues 
than it does positives. And it's not even close in my opinion. And you're starting to see guys like, you know, the one guy that I saw come out and make a pretty big statement against it was Justin Thomas. And he's not one of the longest players in the world. You know, he, I know JT, I love JT, but long story short, when you see a guy like that, that distance is not the reason that he makes money come out and make a statement against it. This is not for the betterment of the game. This is not for the betterment of amateurs. This is not for the betterment of the masses. You know, the Pro V1 has more to lose than anything else because ultimately that's the ball that everyone plays for the most part. And I'm, I'm not saying there's not other great balls out there. I'm just saying at the end of the day, that's the industry leader by it's landslide. It's a 900-pound gorilla in the room without question. Yeah, they got a 72% market share. And all of a sudden, you want to threaten that product? That's going to be a very hard fight to go up against. And I don't think the USGA has the best interest in growing the game, as they like to call it, um, in their sights. It, it just does not seem like that is where the benefit comes to the overall mass of the game. Mike and I are both in the golf industry. Jay, you're as much in it as anyone that doesn't hold a, a nine to five in the industry. But at the same time, you're as much a part of this as anybody else. And at the end of the day, this does not provide a benefit. This does not bring more players to the game. And that's where my biggest argument with it is. There is no chance that by doing this, you're gaining more participation in the sport. You are only segmenting the overall mass that is the golfing population and ultimately providing providing a less attractive situation. But beyond that, I still think at the end of the day, there's no chance that this goes through. I just don't think there's any chance it goes through. That would be great. Can I go? Go for it. All right. I'll start with um, the cons, the reason I don't like this. I'm concerned the most for the high-end elite AM, right? Because they're calling this for elite competition only. So my members aren't going to be affected by this rule change. Um, but high-end amateurs, mid-ams, collegiate athletes will be affected. Um, they're going to have to play two balls. It's going to be awkward. I'm worried that the manufacturers are going to spend so much in R&D that prices will then be jacked up on the consumer because of this. I'm not sure what the NCAA will do. I'm not sure what the PGA Tour will do. There's rumors that they're not going to go by this anyways, even if the USGA were to make the rule. So that would be weird. Mike, um, real quick, I'm not not trying to interrupt. I thought I caught you at a quick transition point there, but how do you how do you police that? Let's say at the Foundry, you have some good players out of the Foundry without question. How do you police a club event where you have certain guys playing that? But I, w- playing the I, other I, I wouldn't classify anything that we host at the Foundry as an elite amateur event. I would never no, put I this rule into play. It's a, I, I, I agree with that. Not an elite amateur event, but you do have some good players that are going to want to play the same thing that the tour players play because they. I don't have to police that then. So you just, it just have, if you want to play that ball, you're on if your If they own. want to play, if a if an am wants to play that ball and, and, the, these companies we've used the Pro V1 already, so we'll just use them. Titles and Pro V1. My my guess is they'll come out to market because AMs are going to have to buy these if they're going to play in in these things. So yeah. my my guess is they're going to come out with the Pro V1. We'll just call it Elite, right? Just f- using the word from the ruling. We'll, and then there's going to be the Pro V1. If an 
one of my members wants to buy that, I'll I'll sell it to them and they can use it. I'm not going to tell them they can't. It's it's a rolled back ball. So I'm not going to police that in, in a club event. I, it doesn't affect me or my events. Again, I'm I'm not the VSGA. I'm not the Virginia State Golf Association that's running a state am or a state mid am or, or those kind of things. So I, I personally will not have to worry about this rule. I, I may from uh if I if they do it in the state open, I may have to worry about it myself playing it uh in the state open. I understand that the the USGA is easy to bash, right? I think all all bodies of of that ilk, right? Whether it's call it a governing body or the commissioners in every sports league, th- those people are very easy to bash, right? It's easy to sit here and, and bash them. Um and this is this is a reaction for them not doing anything over the last 20 years. This is what this is. This is them realizing, oh shit, we have a problem on our hands. I think we need to do something now before it gets too out of hand. And so that's what what you're seeing here. Um, I think the overall takes on this rollback, I don't like the word rollback, and I'll explain why in a second. I think it's a massive overreaction. Um I don't think it's that big of a deal uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. I think this is the low-hanging fruit that the PG or the USGA realized, hey, we think we need to put a governor on it or a speed bump on distance in the game. Because I think... The yeah, they're not putting a speed bump. They're putting a, uh, they're putting a fucking ditch where you drive in and you can't get out and you got to get a... A tow truck to pull you out. That's so the reason that's I say speed the reason bump. the reason I chose speed bump is because when you go approaching a speed bump, you got to slow down for a split second, but then you can go fast after. And so what I think is after a couple of years, I think the players and the manufacturers will realize how to regain those distance lost over a couple of year period. They're gonna figure it out. The players are good enough, the manufacturers are good enough. With the advent of TrackMan and all this technology that we have at our disposal, we'll regain those distances pretty quickly. And what they're doing is making sure it doesn't get out of hand because we we haven't done anything over 20 years. There's been the same regulations. We're already regulating clubs and balls. That's So for people who are upset about regulation, th- there already is regulation. They're just changing that regulation. And so... But would you agree that the regulation was a, a stopping point, not a rollback? Like they got to a certain it, point and say, all right, guys, it can't get faster than this, which I agree. But it has, though. That's the that. thing. They said, okay, this is what the regulations were for the last 20 years, but people have figured out how to get, have gotten longer. I looked up in 2000. They need to do a better job with the regulations. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. I, I let you guys talk. I didn't interrupt. Let me Let me finish. Okay. Hang on. I got a point to make. No, I, I'm, I'm going to talk. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm going to talk. You guys talked. I let you guys have your time. It comes down to course design. Well, but you did you did comment while we were talking. So I was I asking clarification questions. Okay. Comes down to course setup. So I looked up in 2003, there were eight guys, sorry, nine guys that averaged over 300 yards. Current year, we have 83 guys that are averaging over 300 yards with no change in regulation. So people are getting longer with, if you just say, if you just say, Hey, we're just going to stop right here. Guys are still going to figure out how to get longer and longer. The athletes getting bigger and better. The teaching is getting better. The launch monitors are getting better. The technology is getting better. The manufacturers are all getting better. So just saying stop 
doesn't really stop the problem. I I don't I don't want to see 400 yard drives on the PGA Why? Tour. Why? Because then there there eliminates golf courses. What golf courses are you going to have that these guys can play with 400 yard drives? A ton of them. I also You've think. Really hey, let me finish. I also think that there. Five percent is not much, guys. You're it talking across the board. Then you're talking five percent. You're talking three hundred twenty yards to three hundred yards. The average amateur can't understand what that difference is until they put it up on the screen. They don't know whether you're there in person. You're watching on TV. Five percent is not that much. You know what the difference in in altitude was from when they went to Pebble Beach to TPC Scottsdale. 5%. We see this all the time with weather and altitude. 5% is not much. These PJ Tour professionals will figure out their new yardages in about one hour on a launch monitor. It's not going to take them long to figure out their new yardages. And if we can start to bring back some of the skill in golf, so it's not just driver wedge, driver wedge, driver wedge, which it has become, it's become a little bit boring. And that 5% is not going to do that. It can a little bit. I'm not saying it's going to go. I'm not saying it's going to go along other ways. But if if someone is now hitting instead of hitting a nine iron, they're now hitting a seven iron instead. Now we're bringing back a little bit more skill. I'm not talking. I disagree. I disagree. We're we're, we're, twenty years ago. Guys were bashing it when when the Pro V came out in 2001, 2002. Like that was the beginning of it. Like nothing has changed over the last twenty years. Like we're not we're by us drawing this ball back, we're not gonna we're not gonna make guys, you know, focus on the skill of shaping the ball. I'm not the fact is the or, or, or controlling the ball. The only reason we're, only way we're gonna make guys control the ball is when we firm greens and, and grow rough or have graduated rough and narrow fairways. Absolutely. So us rolling the ball back is not going to make them focus on the skill of, 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 of moving the ball and controlling the ball. It's not going to do it. No, nope. we've is, already seen it in the last 20 years. It hasn't changed. Is, is hitting a seven iron harder than hitting a nine iron. They're not going to hit seven iron. You're talking about 5%, which 5% equates to I'm a talking, so half a club. A half so a club. If, if they're, if they're the now hitting a nine iron and they're going to hit, if they're going to lose 20 yards off their drive, that's close to two. Call it a club and a half. Right? So you're going to lose 20 yards off their drive? Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. So roughly close to a nine iron to a seven iron. So now we're bringing a little bit more mid irons in play. Maybe we, we're never probably going to get back to the point where we're hitting long irons for these guys. They just don't do it. It's not part of the game. I think that's a skill that needs to be rewarded that's not being rewarded because it's just a driver wedge competition. If you then are hitting a seven iron, you're 20 yards further away from the green. Statistics say you're going to miss more greens. So therefore, we're now going to factor short game in a little bit more. Chipping and pitching and putting will matter a little bit more if guys aren't hitting as many greens or not hitting it as close because they're going back to clubs. We have a couple top guys in the top 10 of the world that absolutely suck at the short game. To me, you, if you're going to be a top 10 player in the world, you need to be decently proficient at all aspects of the game. I'm not saying you have to be top 50 player in the world at every aspect of the game, but you can't be 200th in the world like we have some of our guys. Yeah. So why would why would narrowing the fairways? I'm not saying you have to I have say seven narrow the fairways. 
I'm saying narrow the fairways. Say so why would narrowing the fairways and and making it making a premium on hitting the fairway? Why would that not be sufficient? Why do we have to roll the ball back? We can we can make these guys hit hit more fairways, and, and so they have to show showcase their skill more, grow a little bit more rough up around the greens. So they have to show their skill around the greens. Why does it have to be roll so the ball back? I, that, I don't. That to me, I, involves way more skill in terms of hitting a tighter fairway. Let's make it much tighter at three twenty. Let's grow it in at 320. Let's go ahead and make it more penalizing to hit that longer drive. But if you do have the ability to do so and you can hit the fairway, that to me involves a ton of skill. Sure. sure. Hitting, the, hitting the fairway at 320 involves skill, but that's not what's happening. So look at the winged foot U.S. Open a couple of years ago. They pinched all the fairways in. They grew the rough up. Who won? Bryson. Hits it a fucking mile. Who came in second? Matt Wolf Hits it a ton. When you actually add all that rough, it actually incentivizes the guys to hit it further because hitting a wedge out of the rough is way better when they're going to be narrow. If you were to What's put hazards, do? Wait, that, let me, let me, hey, I didn't interrupt you guys. You wanted to not yes, interrupt you did. each other. Yes, you did. You did. What's the one difference? What's the one difference with that golf course? What's the one difference outside of rough? Tough greens. What are we missing? They cut down every goddamn tree on the planet. So it's easy to blast at 350 and you're hitting out of the rough with a lob wedge. But when you leave trees up, which everyone is just on this kick, well, let's cut every freaking tree down. They, they created this. They created this monster. Like, hey, well, let's cut all the trees down so we can grow a bunch of grass, but we're not going to use it because we're going to widen the fairways and we roll the ball back. If you keep the trees so, up, you can't you can't take off all, cut off all these dog right, webs and, right. and hit it in and hit in the rough and still have a wide open shot. So, so I mean, I, they, this is this is part of their part of their problem. The USGA was part of this. They asked them to cut these trees. I, down. I I agree that USGA is part of this problem, but there's got to be a solution. Mm-hmm. This isn't it. I don't think the rollback is the solution. So, like to me, gouging it out of rough is not interesting, especially around the greens. I actually think long rough around the greens doesn't determine. You put short grass around the greens then you can determine who's a good pitcher and who's a good chipper of the golf ball, not just gouging it out that. of the rough. I agree with that. Sure. I agree with that. Tight lies around the green show more uh, skills. It's way harder. Rough, 100%. But I don't think necessarily you can't grow the fairways and you can't provide more bunkers in play, more has- hazards. Hazards in play, about, put water out there. Digging a ditch earlier, right? Dig a ditch across that green. That's way cheaper. And at the end of the day, or across that fairway, it's way cheaper. Um, but at the end of the day, I think ultimately, and, and at the same time, what this, what's this going to do for the shorter hitters of the game that can still find themselves somewhat competitive? You know, how many hybrids is Brian Harmon and Kevin Kisner going to have in their bag? Are they still going to be able to do it? Or are they going to become the Tim Clarks of the world that we know, don't hear from again? How many players is this going to negatively affect where they're no longer competitive? You know, there, there's a I, lot. I don't know if it negatively affects that many. I, I, think, those, it does. Those, I think it Because those guys are already good with their long irons because they're having to hit more than than Rory does. But now they're going to have to be hitting two hybrids into par fours. Are we going to shorten the overall? But that's, but, but you know, to me, but that's guys still playing 500 yard par fours and they're having to hit driver two iron into. Okay. Well, and if you guys let the game keep going, then they're going to be playing 550 yard par we, fours we, soon. So what both, does it matter? We both said no, that you're letting the game keep going. I, I do think that you can, I do think you can kind of stop some parameters where exactly it is. Right. I don't. I don't believe in the rollback. I don't. I don't, I don't like going backwards with what's already been. You know, what's already progressed. I just. I just think that you diminish the sport. You diminish the legacy, which everyone loves using that word. The history of the sport. 
you know, now we take the last 20 years of all those tournaments won. I'm like, hey, Tiger, you know what? I don't know. Would you have won those tournaments if you didn't have this, this you know, two-piece, three-piece ball? I think you know, it makes I, the skilled player even better. I this, The long player, because I, I do think what, hitting what the ball a long distance, player? I do think hitting the ball a long distance is a skill that should be rewarded. It's just not being rewarded in the right way. I, I, I think instead of tightening the fairways and long rough, then you have to put bunkers in the way or hazards. Well, that requires money or requires adding distance to a golf course, which not everyone can do. And the the old course this past year was almost obsolete. I mean, there's six holes there that guys are having two putts for birdies because they can drive so many greens and the par fives are easily reachable. So like, then that means there's not enough hazards for a short golf course. Not they don't have to add length. You can add bunkers if you, you want to drive the green three twenty, way cheaper than you can with creating another golf ball that no one's going to pay for. That they're just going to give away. So who's it expensive to? Then no one. If no one's paying for it, then it's not expensive to anyone. It's expensive to all the clubs, therefore all the managers, and, and therefore all the members. Excuse me, no, that, that are members no, there. We know we know that funding is involved when it comes to major championship golf or even major tournament golf. When it comes to some redesign, similar to what Jay talked about with Wingfoot hosting that uh, or having to cut all those trees. But then, down. but then you're redesigning Wingfoot a golf course for, for one week of one week every six years where the members play it every day. That doesn't it doesn't equate. It's not sustainable in my but the mind. USGA should not be responsible for passing on these costs to someone else. Massive costs versus putting in a bunker or a ditch or a little bit or a couple more hazards. I can promise you, developing an entire new golf so, ball is way more expensive than putting in a couple of additional so hazards on the right. golf course and growing the rough in. So what's the difference between taking five percent off the golf ball or adding five percent in yardage to a golf course? What do you mean? What's the difference? What's the it, difference? Well, it's massive. I, I think, I think taking, I've already spent by the manufacturers to develop this golf ball. Hundreds of millions of dollars will need to be spent by the manufacturers to develop this golf ball without question. Okay. That's not, that's not a question. And then, and then you lose. So you're the, okay. You're okay. If, if every, every course on the PJ tour said, Hey, we're lengthening our course by 5%. You're okay with that. Yeah. Then you're do, you're doing the exact same thing. What's more sustainable? Well, I don't think necessarily the golf course need to get longer, but I will say it's much no. cheaper to add a tee box. But you're but you're okay with it though. Else. I'm saying like we talked about a few weeks ago. We talked about Augusta lengthening the 13th hole. You're okay with that, so guys have further in. But you're not okay with the golf ball changing to have further in. Because the golf ball changing, having further in, doesn't benefit the golfing public, and it also creates a product that is not. Uh, reasonable for the golfing public to play. You create bifurcation of rules. It doesn't hurt Versus, the public either, though. It it does hurt the public. The biggest thing that we that we enjoy about our sport, as Jay mentioned with basketball and football earlier, is that we all play the same sport. We all play under the same the same restrictions. We all can either throw sort of. a football uh, sixty yards. Or you can't throw a football sixty yards. If you can, you might have some a number on your back and your name on your back. Same thing with golf. If you're able to hit a ball 320 and make birdies after birdie and ultimately shoot low scores, you might have your name on your bag. But my biggest thing is the fact that this does not help the golfing public. It does not benefit. It doesn't the game hurt the overall. golfing public, though. It does. You think bifurcation of rules is a benefit to the golfing public? You don't, I don't think that, that attraction to the game of being able to play the same product is a a benefit and something that people enjoy. I, I think it's I think it's minimal. 
The golf industry is currently in the best then boom why it's your... ever had. Wait, wait. The golf industry is currently in the best boom it's ever had. It has zero to do with playing not, by not the same zero. set of rules. It not has zero. A half a percent to do with playing by the same set of rules as the PJ professionals. I disagree. Well, I, 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 I would argue that these are the, this is the pinnacle. The PJ Tour are the elite, the best players in the world. Yeah. In the same in the same instance that you look at guy or kids buying basketball shoes, I want to buy those shoes because that's le- what LeBron wears. That's what KD wears. That's what Giannis wears. Uh, if they say, you know what, you can't buy these. I wear my shoes. You can buy these other shoes that no one wears. Um, here. We're going to market these to you guys because you're the general public, but you can't wear what we wear because we wear our stuff and it's different. There's a disconnect. There's less of a following, you know, and the same thing I, I keep, I keep harping on the the history of the game. If all of a sudden I'm, I'm going to watch the the U S open and they've got a different ball. So th- your record doesn't count. If you, if you win the U S open, and you beat somebody by by 10 shots because of X, Y, and Z, but you were playing a different ball. So, you know, really, I mean, for the last hundred years, there was no there was no regulation on on balls. We didn't roll anything back. So uh, it's but, okay. But, but there has been that kind of stuff always. I mean, the, the there, guys on there's the never American been a rollback. There's never been a rollback. There's always been, hey, restriction here. We're gonna stop progression here. Okay, right. everyone's on the even playing field moving forward. But if you take us back, whenever I get, you go I get back, that, but we can't keep moving forward. We're going to have a serious no, no, no. problem. I'm not saying move forward. forward. I'm saying stop the progression. Put some parameters on it. But we haven't, we haven't, the stopping the progression happened 20 years ago. We haven't advanced progression when as far they, as how they test these golf balls. They have not, but everyone has gotten longer. When did well, they? That's well, that's, that's the USGS fault for not doing a better job of testing. Well, they no, need so at some job point, at some on. point, they would have no. had to roll it back. Hold on a second. You no. cannot tell me disagree right now uh, that I the reason we have more but... players. No, forget the facts for a second. Let's talk about what's yeah, welcome real. to America. Forget. Let's the facts. talk about what's real. Do you think right now, twenty years ago, when they slowed the progression, the 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 uh, the driver face when they said that this can't. This can't get thinner than this. We have to keep it there. Do you think at that point you had more physical fit golfers than you do now? No, we don't. Definitely. I'm not going to say we did. So it's do you abs- think I already that said the that. Distance, but do you not think that the distance and the reason we have the amount of players averaging over 300 yards on the PGA Tours because they are now much more physically fit bunch and a more um, uh, physically conscious bunch than they've ever been on the PGA Tour? I- ever. I absolutely agree. And that's why we have to adjust the equipment because people are only going to get bigger, faster, and stronger. But that's where you need to stop it where it is. You do not want no, people But that's playing the thing. You can't products. stop it where it is. It, it stopped where it is 20 years ago. No, it, no, it didn't. No, it, no, it did didn't. What, what, in what way did it stop where it was 20 years ago? The testing has not changed in 20 years. They need years. to change the testing. They just the did. They need to change off. the testing. Because it's they haven't detriment. done it. They just did, and you guys are pissed off at that you're changing the testing. Because it's a detriment. No, no, they, they, they need to change the, the testing in a, in a way that's not going to roll the ball back. Just say, hey, you can't go forward that's, this way. That's what they're doing. By, by, raising, by raising the testing of speed of what they test at, 
That's exactly what they're doing. They used to test at 114 miles an hour. 20 years ago, they changed it to 120. Now they're changing it to 127 and everyone's pissed off. Well, the, the way that I read it, it's saying that they're, they're going to change the testing to which the ball cannot travel further than what it, it's done in the past. So they're essentially rolling it back. They're changing the speed at which they test because they know what the future is going to hold and how fast people can swing a golf club. Okay, then why does the then why does the Titleist need to make a new ball to accommodate for that? Because that's what's going to have to happen with their testing. Because they're not going to change the distance from three seventeen to three fifty. No, it's because they have to change. They have to make a ball that's not going to go as far as it goes now. Okay. It's not. I'm not worried about it. It's not going to go through. They'll be in litigation beyond 2026, and ultimately the manufacturers will throw so much money at this that the USJ will never be able to see it through. Um, yeah, I just I think something has to be done because you can't have an outside agency influence someone's business model that way. They could have a lawsuit on their hands. Absolutely, they, they there's a hundred percent a lawsuit they that's gonna, that's going to happen. One hundred percent, and it will not um, go through because USGA cannot pay for it. I mean, and that's, you know, outside of the fact that, that you know, we don't even get need to get into the, 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 the argument of the USGA and what they've done in the past. I mean, they, they, their, their history, their track history has proven themselves as being, I don't want to use any really outlandish words, but they, they have, they, they haven't proven themselves as being a, a very, uh, very smart in terms of their decisions when it comes to stuff like this. I mean, they, they constantly year after year after year, they're they're getting ridiculed for their decisions that they make, and it's not because they're so smart and they're making so many great decisions that everyone else is just idiots. Uh, there's a lot of really smart people that look at what they do and they analyze it, and like this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I really feel like. Again, I'm not that smart of a person. I mean, I'm I, I graduated from James Madison, and I, you know, I love James Madison. But I mean, I, I'm not in, I didn't graduate from Yale. But I, I would say, along with a lot of other people, this is not a great decision, and it doesn't really have any. You know, there's no validity to what they're doing. It doesn't make any sense. I think you're you're going backwards, and I think when the game is at its peak and it's moving in the right direction, why take a step completely backwards? It's one thing to take a pause. Well, I do think I do think so. The viewer, you think the viewer sitting at home is going to say, "Man, this sucks." I think they will. That's attractive. I think they will when they know that they they are playing a separate ball, and I'm not going to be able to play that ball. Now, now you create a bigger dispersion and a greater disconnect from the viewer and the and the the player that you see on TV. That's one. That's just one aspect of it. That's just one aspect. I would argue there's already a disconnect. And sure. I, I think Always. there's already bifurcation in different ways, but nobody wants to complain about the other bifurcation that we have. So why do we add to it? Why would we add to it? It's already because there. It makes, because, it makes, because it makes sense in the why long-term do, interest of the professional game. Why do... Not the amateur game. They are they are vastly distant, if different games. The game that I'm around every day is nothing like what's happening. In, and I understand this is a rule for the 1% of the 1%. But I think that's why the USGA has gotten into problems over the years is they've made rules for the professionals that shouldn't matter for the amateurs. They've made restrictions on the amateurs that were really only targeted for the professionals. And I think that where my issue is with the USGA 
is is when it comes to those kind of things. The anchoring ban never should have gone into into uh, effect with the amateurs. Hell, the, the groove rule, which happened in 2010. Do you know amateurs, amateurs can actually, well, exactly, because of the advance of technology, everyone thought it was going to be a big ordeal, but technology caught up just like they're going to do here. They're going to go backwards for two years, and then technology will catch up and we'll be in the same spot we're at this year. It just hasn't had a progression of, of five years. But if we're in the growth of golf the way you just said it is, why are we going to stagnate that with two years of rolling we're, it back? Why are you're we not stagnating the growth of golf? You are going to stagnate that. 100% no. you are. And it's the same thing that Mike Davis did. And I know this for a fact because I have a friend of mine who's a USGA official. When he first met Mike Davis and came into office, it was a personal, a personal agenda item to get rid of the anchoring ban. Personal agenda. He told him straight because I'm, I'm not, getting rid of that. Sure. And that is where the USGA has consistently gone off of not what's best for the sport. And ultimately, at the end of the day, rolling this ball back does not bring more players to the sport. It, does it doesn't bring help. less. It does not bring less. It 100% brings no, less. No, it does not. All the, How does all, it not bring less? How does okay. it not bring less? Of all the people that just started to play golf or people that play more golf since a COVID, do you think it has to do with what golf ball they're playing or because well, they want to enjoy the, the sport? I know a ton the, of my members that do not watch the PGA Tour. They do not care about professional golf. They want to play it for the sport. I do not think a single person, I think it's cute if you say, oh, I get to play the same ball. But if I have to buy the Pro V1 and they're playing the Pro V1 Elite, they're gonna people are going to get over it really fast. Why do they buy the Pro V1 then? Because it's what's on the, the that you see twenty. What's the reason you see twenty handicappers buying the Pro V one? Is it not because it's the number one ball on tour? Because it's the best ball the in golf. It is the best ball. I would recommend that golf ball to anyone that asks me. I don't yeah, care but if you're it's a because the or, the best players in the world play it, and if all of a sudden sure, and they're still going to play a, a, a similar version of it, it's just going to be a five percent reduction in distance. Yeah, Do you think I mean, amateurs I think I, are going to say, "Now nah, I'm going to give up the game. I quit. This sucks. I can't play my ball goes five percent further. I quit." But they're not going to give it up, but you're going to have less play, less people being drawn to it. I doubt it. Yeah. I think you're overstating that. I don't I don't think I am. Jay doesn't either. That's fine. Okay. There's only three people here. There's a lot more people, but I don't think you're going to have that many people be like, oh, man. How many tour players man, have you I seen hate, come out I, that were a proponent of this? How many tour players have made a statement so far? Okay. How many how many idea? tour players have Titleist or have are sponsored by an equipment company? All of them. Of course, they're going to say this stuff, guys. Of course, and, they're going to say this, this. And the same for and Tiger is, and Jack, is, who are going to disagree players, with it. This is yeah, what players exactly do. Right. Players, players whine and bitch when you change things on them. This is what they do. Well, I mean, there, there's other people who would say the same thing if you come if you whine and bitch when you change things on them. Sure, yeah, but that's that's why I'm saying I think a lot of people are like that. So. To, to say that, like, well, the tour players don't want this. Well, of course they don't. Uh, of course they don't. But they also, if if they were perfectly in charge, there'd be no trees, there'd be no bunkers. We'd be everyone would be hitting the ball five hundred yards. Like that's not. No, that's there exactly. already is less trees because everybody's cutting the motherfuckers down. Well, that's not right. accurate. <laughs> um, I mean, the the players wouldn't have any regulations on clubs or equipment if they were in charge. So of course they're going to say this stuff. That's not okay. accurate. Look, look, I'm not. You I'm can't not, tell me that Brian Harmon and Bryson DeChambeau are going to be on the same boat with when it comes to restrictions. There's an obvious advantage to certain players of being able to hit it farther. There, there, there is. Some I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not but just at saying the same that there time, you're, you're not going to tell me that a guy who's a short hitter is going to have the exact same feelings that a guy who's a long hitter is. That, that's not real but life. What if, but what if you're a short hitter that flushes your mid irons or long irons and you know these guys that hit it a mile can't? They're going to be like, you know what? I'm actually brought back into play now because I can hit a five iron and that guy over there can't because he never has to hit a five iron. He's still working with this five iron. That doesn't change the argument. Then let's stop the progression. Let's keep it the same. Why do we have to exactly. roll it back? That's my main exactly point. Right. Why do, I, I agree with what you're saying, Mike. I, I don't think that we want to get to the point where balls are coming off at 140 miles an hour. But they and, will if you keep it the same. It's going to do that regardless. But I think for the for the history of the game and, and what makes this game great and why you like the PGA Tour so much is because there's so much history over the past 100 years. Let's keep let's keep what we have. And if you want to stop the progression, let's stop the progression. But the rolling back is a bad idea. Like you're going to create so much negativity to the game. There's going to you're going to lose the luster of a guy winning a major. In my opinion, I'm like, oh, well, you know, this guy won with this ball. Like, I don't know. It sucks. I'm going to guys. And then we we go to the live tour. Hey, we're not going to limit our ball. We're going to let this thing fly. We're swinging 130 miles an hour now. Sure. It could never be able to swing 130 miles an hour before. You cannot tell me. And I'm talking about 10 years ago. Guys but couldn't swing 130 miles an hour. The golf ball is not the issue hour. in that. The golf ball is not the problem with that. A golf ball is a portion. There's there's about five things that are uh, attributing to the distance. And I'm not saying they've solved every problem because they can't, because then people would be really pissed if they solved all five problems. But they're yeah, not. Then you, they would really lose viewership. Right? Wait, wait, till, wait, wait till the USGA says no track mans. Wait till the USA says, hey, we're going to add not only the ball, golf ball going to go shorter, it's we're going to make it spinnier. So your misses are now off the planet Earth. Wait till That's- they say, hey, you're making the sweet spot smaller and the driver head smaller. They're not doing that. This is about as easy as they can make it on everyone. And everyone's having a fucking fit. Because Why they're going having a fit backwards. They're going backwards. But everyone else is, if they're going forward too fast, you can't keep it then the same. S- then stop. No, stop you can't going keep forward. It the same. That's the thing. Why not? Okay? Why not? Because guys are swinging it faster now than they were but, just ten years ago. That's fine. Let them keep swinging faster, but stop where we're going. And if they want to keep progressing, but they haven't that's changed fine. in twenty years. That's the whole thing, guys. That's the whole. That, that's that's the, the USGA's fault for not doing that twenty years ago. You're too late. You missed your boat. You missed no, the boat. No, so stop the progression. It, but they did stop it twenty years ago, and they didn't realize how fast people could get. That's their fault. They missed it. So just you let, can't go backwards. So let guys hit it 500 yards. Just let guys hit it 500 yards. No guys are going to hit it 500 yards. Come on, make it. Make no one's going to hit it 500 yards. Let guys hit it 400 yards. Let's see the PGA Tour. How many hit 400 400 yards? How many guys are hitting 400 yards, dude? I mean, I'm not, let's. Yeah. You're, you're, Come on, none. You're but how many people? You're speaking in exaggerations right now. That's no, that's not no, real. No, no one's hitting 400 yards. If you on average, if you were to ask 20 years ago, are you going to see? 80-something guys average over 300 yards, you would have said no. I don't know. When you see what so the, the, the guys what? on the long drive tour, you guys Sorry, on the long drive, the guys on the live long drive tour are hitting at 400 yards. It's but not on the PJ tour. I'm talking on the PJ tour. I, I get that, but that's where it's going. It's going no, to no. get there. Okay, then then you then you stop progression for the other aspects. Look at Dude, come on. You're a smart dude. I'm not, I'm not, you're a smart, you're a smart dude. Smart Just dude listen. Too. 
Exactly. So you, you stop progression for the ball, stop progression for the for the pace, stop length of, of, of the shaft, stop the flexibility of the shaft. They've There's other that. ways to stop progression. You don't have to roll They've back the ball. They've done all that, Jay. That's what I'm saying. They've uh, done all that. And they need to keep looking at ways to stop progression and let athletes be athletes. You can't, you can't, you've already, you're already there. You can't, you can't take it back. It's already there. It's already there. You can't go backwards. If you, if you go backwards, then you lose, you lose the respect of the viewership. I'm telling you, if you go backwards, you're going to lose the respect of the viewership. And you're like, oh, well. I don't know. I, I watched Tiger play great golf, but I mean, I don't know. What would he have done if they had to roll back the ball? I don't know. Maybe it would have been great. Maybe not. I, okay. Rolling back is, is a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Yeah, it's not good for anybody. I think, I, think staying, I think staying the same is a bad idea. I disagree. Uh, but it, or, That's fine. Or, and I said that at the beginning. I tried not to get into this argument, but this is where we went. So This was inevitable. Oh, this I mean, inevitable. You're probably right. You're probably right. It was inevitable. But... Um, I got to piss. All right. Let's get to our picks. As we typically do, we beat a dead horse on that one. <laughs> like we do best here. I'm just going to change the change the name of our podcast to beating a dead horse golf podcast. All right. We got the mat- match play this week. Uh, the last ever match play. Maybe not last ever, but last for quite a while as this event will not be on the calendar next year. Dell has backed out. Austin Country Club. I... I like this event every year. I know you don't get the top guys potentially around all weekend, but it's a different format. Give me a little bit different every year. So uh, the golf course is fun to watch too. I think this is the best match play format that they've come up with where we get to see all the players play for two days. Is it two or three days? Three days. Three days. No, two days. Three days. They start Wednesday. So it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the group play. Winner of the group gets out to the bracket. Yeah. So, I mean, we get to see three days of golf, all the players, regardless of how they finish. So I do think this is the best, the best format they've come up with for the match play setup. Um, but yeah, it is, it's still tough. We've had this discussion in the last couple uh, over the last couple of years and how difficult it is. And, you know, when, you know, when your top guys, if, you know, top 10 players in the world all miss the, you know, the, the actual, uh, you know, bracket play, so to speak. And you're, you're watching, you know, you know, Adam Shank and whoever else, I mean, nothing against these guys, but they're, they're not your top tier guys. So the Shank viewership. Shank. From, yeah. Is it Shank or Shink? Shank, 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 Shank. It's Shank. Got it. Is it S? S H C C H E N K, but that E is like how do you pronounce the E? Is it, is it e? A? Is it E? Yeah. Shank, 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 shank. Um, I don't know. All right. So, uh, uh, standings update. Jay did win last week. McLean came in second. I came in third. Season McLean. I needed McLean to come in third. Yeah, you know, I sucked on my picks last week. So, at least on here. <laughs> uh McLean's season long point total still in first 69. Hey yo. Uh Jay in second at 56, Mike uh in third at 53. So still we well work. all Jay and I are still well behind McLean. We got some work to do. We got some work to do. So who wants to go first? This is a hard one. So obviously for for DraftKings purposes, 
you're scored on per hole points as far as holes won and lost and have and all that kind of stuff. So to pick a good squad, you need to basically look through the groups. There are 16 groups of four and see who is going to come out of those groups. You want them to play the most golf possible. So obviously you would need guys to come out of their group and obviously win a lot of holes. So um, who wants to go first? I mean, I can. And I, I I loosely looked through my lineup and I made it work and tried not to have any guys in the same group, but I, I'm not going to promise that. Um, so anyway, I'll start uh, kind of at the bottom. And Bazinhut has played – he's had some success here at this tournament in the past. He's at 6,700. He is in um, – He's in a, a group now, of Tony Finau, Kibiyama, uh, and Adrian Moronic, Moronk. I feel like that's a pretty good group for a guy who's had success in this tournament. Who's I think I'm pretty sure he's he's made it past the the group play, but maybe not. I, I, I just remember seeing his name quite a bit in the past. But um, I don't I don't want to give you the stats that I have on Bazaden Hoot in this. Okay, event. don't don't do it then. He's okay. playing well though. Recent history, he's playing well. Recent history, he's playing well. Um, then I jump up to uh, Adams Vincent, who does not have any history in this event um, because he's never made it, but has played some some good golf. 13th at the Players last week. Um, it's a tough group. 24th at the, at the Arnold Palmer uh, Invitational, 49th at the Honda Classic, and 9th at the Genesis Invitational. So... Um, he, again, he's, uh, Adam, I play with Adam quite a bit. Um, and I, as I've talked about on the past pod, I play with him in his first professional event. I was really impressed with him. Uh, his mental stand, his mental fortitude as a 21 year old, 20 year old player, uh, great short game, uh, drives it pretty straight as a good, a good iron player. Um, so I feel like this is kind of one of those events that like he could probably be sneaky in and surprise a lot of people at 6700 bucks. So um jump up to Justin Sue who is he's played some really good golf up until last week he finished 45th at the Valspar but prior to that 6th place at the Players 24th at the Arnold Palmer 5th at the Honda. So playing some good golf again one of those guys a lower tier guy um he is in the group with Max Homa, Hideki, and Kevin Kisner. Yeah, those are three studs. Uh, for especially Kevin Kisner, not playing well, but always plays well in this event. And Max Homa, we know, has been playing great golf. And Hideki is a you know arguably a top ten talent in the world. So that's a tough, a tough, uh, a tough draw. But this guy's been playing some good golf, and at the price, I thought it I thought it made sense. And I could be wrong, but. Um, that made way for some of these other picks uh, at nine thousand dollars. Tyrell Hatton, mm, good pick. I just feel like he just, that he's made for this event. He's made for these match plays event, match play events, and uh, he's played well as of late. I mean, second place, fourth place, fortieth, sixth, thirty eighth, seventh. You know, he's been playing some good golf, and he's a he's a tough dude. He he beats himself up, but he's a tough dude. And I, I, I honestly think this guy's going to win. Um, he's been trending in the right direction for quite a while now. Made some really incredible swing changes. I'm sure all everyone who listens to this pod 
and had follows YouTube, has seen the swing changes over the last couple of years. He's had some back injury. Uh, wow. Back injury. Are you um, going where I think you're going? You, you, you go ahead. Tell no, me. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to see if you get it right. You threw me off with the back injuries, but you said seeing you on YouTube, all that kind of stuff, swing changes. Are you going Ricky Fowler? No, I'm uh, not Ricky Fowler, but close, close. I'm going Jason Day because okay. he has his swing has been on YouTube quite a bit in the last two or three weeks. Everyone commenting on how he's made some slight changes, which they, they seem slight to the naked eye, but very big changes for his longevity um, and, and playing on the PGA Tour. But and, and the proof is in the pudding, you know. 19th at the players, which is a, you know, a, an event that you can be so sporadic in, you know, 10th at the Arnold Palmer, 9th at the Genesis, 5th at the the Phoenix, 7th at the Farmers, 18th at the American Express. I mean, he's been playing really, really good golf. And Very it's just a matter of time before he wins. And I don't think he's won this event before, but uh, he's he certainly played really well in this event in the past. You know, there was a time where, where Jason was, really playing some good golf and he was in the mix quite a bit. And I don't think he won the event, but he was, he was in the top four and maybe made it to the finals one, one year. I'm pretty sure. So um, I, I know that the golf courses have changed and, and, but he can handle the match play event. He, he is tried and true tested. So at 9,100 bucks, I mean, he's my sleeper. I'd really think that he can get out of his, get out of his, his grouping um and and make a really serious uh serious run um that would be um i wouldn't be surprised but i'm sure a lot of other people would be surprised and last uh but not least uh I, i'm going with the best player in the world scotty scheffler mm, i'm not sure where you're going I mean, rom or scheffler there i mean he is the best player in the world and he is he's only finished outside of the top 10 twice and both of those finishes were 11th and 12th in the last eight events. So, you know, what, what else, what else am I going to say about that? I mean, the guy is just on fire, actually nine events. <laughs> so I, I don't, I mean, I, I've never been a huge Scotty Shepherd fan, um, but he is, he continues to prove himself over and over. So there you go. All right. I may, I may change that before the Wednesday's round. I like it. That's, that's a lot to get him in there. So. All right, uh, McLean, you're up. Can't lay Fleetwood, Henley, Horschel, Kisner, Lowry. <laughs> okay. I know you do this because I talk too long, but the listeners love getting the background. If no, you he's doing say this because he's pissed at me. If you want to say power ranking, McLean, there's a lot of people that love to hear you say, according to the power rankings. This is who I'm going with. No, he's he's doing this because he's pissed at me. I, offend, I offended him in the break. All right, I'll go. Um, I'll start at the bottom. Ah, I'm a little nervous about this one, but um, I needed a low guy. I need someone pretty low. And there's usually a couple of the bottom seeds make it out of the group. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hope this guy does it. He just played well recently. Cam Davis, 6600. Mm. He's in a tough group. He's got Xander, but Xander's been dealing with a little injuries. Hoagie's coming off, getting hot at the players. Aaron Wise has been eh, um, recently, but Cam Davis played well at the players, so I'm going to go him, 6,600. Then I will go up to, here's a sleeper for this week, 7,000, Ryan Fox. 
You don't see him a lot because he plays primarily over in Europe. Um, but he played well at the players. He played well at the um, at Bay Hill to Arnold Palmer. And I like I like the group he's in. Will Zalatoris, again, dealing with some injuries, hasn't been playing too consistently. Harish Inglis, Har- don't know what you're going to get. He had con- contended and then missed a cut. Uh, Andrew Putnam has been a little all over the place. So I like Fox coming out of that group. Then I will go up to, uh, maybe this is recency bias, Minji Lee, or sorry, Min Woo Lee. Min Ji Lee is his sister. Min Woo Lee, $7,600. Decent, I'd say an average, you know, Fitzpatrick's the number one seed in that group, but hasn't been playing well. So that's one of the reasons why I like that. Uh, Sahith Tagala could be could be tough in this, but I do like Minji Lee coming out of that. Uh, you don't think JJ Spawn's going to pop out of that group? I don't feel like he would come out of that group, but um, hey, he has been playing well, and um, so you never know. JJ Spawn getting banged inside of that group after never, that. <laughs> never know. But then I go up to my three studs. Um, ninety one hundred dollars, Mister Jason Day, just like you. I, I said a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to pick him every time he's in the field until he wins. He's been playing he's gonna awesome. Win. He's um, going to win. I will say, Jay, you you did pick Adam Svensson, who's in the same group as him. So there's a little bit of a... I, I know, but I, I feel like I, I, they, they're going to get a lot of points there, and I'm going to ride it. I'm, I'm willing to ride one of those two guys getting out of that bracket. So, but yeah, I do. Jason, he's, he's playing them. Playing better than Colin Morikawa, who's the one seed in that group. He's playing the best of well, almost anyone in this field, in all honesty, over the last couple of months. So I like Jay Day at, at that value of 9,100. Then I'm going to go up to Victor Hovland. I almost never picked Victor. But $9,600, I think he's just hitting the ball so damn well that he's not going to have to rely on his awful chipping. And... That's a tough group. It is a tough little group. Chris Kirk, Stephen Kim, and Matt Kuchar. Matt Kuchar is a match play demon. Yeah, he's not quite the same Matt Kuchar that he (laughs) used to be. Um, He's been rolled back a little bit. So uh, I'm not sure if I I love Kuchar putting on a lot of pressure. I will say uh, Chris Kirk or Sewell Kim could put some pressure on in that group. But Hovland's just been playing playing very solid golf, and I I expect him to break out here soon at, at some point. He needs a big win. And then I can't get away from this guy. His game is just too solid, too all around, doesn't have a weakness. He's going to get out of his group. He's going to go deep. Max Homa, 10,100. Knew it. it I don't know if he went, but it's just so hard. He's, he's all around guy. Nothing's going to throw him off. He loves match play. He excelled at the President's Cup back in the fall. He's going to win after all this. Rory McIlroy is going to win because probably none of us picked him, and he had a he's had a bad couple weeks, and he's got some had some bad press. He's probably going to win, and that's how he rolls. I'm going to switch my picks. I'm going to switch my picks before Wednesday. There's all kinds of rumors online that he he went to Augusta, played for a couple of days in practice rounds after the players, and made some equipment changes. That people are saying he's going to announce some big equipment changes this week. Or we're all going to find out. Don't know what exactly that means, or if it's just stupid Twitter, you know. The guys are hating the cell too right now. I keep but hating their health and hating the cell too. Except except for Scotty Scheffler just won with it. So yeah, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> you know. 
I mean, you have but, to you have to hit a weird like foot sliding cut, but if you do that, then it's perfect. There you go. Yeah, just get your yeah. feet going all over the place, and you can just hang on to it. Yeah. Real high, weird hang on finish, and you're good, golden. So, all right, that was a long, long episode. Uh, touch on a lot of topics, and uh, some of us may still be talking to each other. Some of us may not be talking to each other, and we'll find out uh, next week. So that's just a tease for you guys. If you made it this far. Find out if all three of us are still on the podcast next week. And you guys, uh, we thank you as always uh, for the downloads, the support, and keep listening. Cheers. Cheers.